Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, February 26, 2020. Hi, I'm Alex Goff, campus pastor at the Poplar Creek Campus. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, director, executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level. Good morning. We're a little tongue-tied this morning. I, <laughs> I had to, I had to do my intro twice. Of course, the listeners won't hear that because yeah. we edit things. I but forgot my title. We don't edit Ooh. much. No, we don't. No, no, no. I, I edit nice. things like that. Like right. if I mess up an intro. Yeah. What was the What was the podcast called yesterday? What did Grant call it? The going was it going deeper podcast? <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> did he, he did. He called yeah. it the wrong name. It, 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 during the benediction announcements, he was like the going deep, and I was just sitting there on the mic right behind him going. Yeah, she probably said Next something. level. I was like, uh, next it's level. the next level. Everybody laughed. Was he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But That's people funny. probably the remember point. the name more, you yeah. know? Next level podcast. How did it go yesterday at Poplar Creek? Alex. It was great. Alex uh, preached. Yeah. Matt we, led worship. Mm-hmm. We had eight people on stage. Uh, Platform. Platform, that's right. <laughs> Are you sure we're not editing this? Uh, <laughs> we had eight people on the platform, and that was the most... Uh, since I've been at Poplar ever. And so I, I think the congregation really appreciated it. It's good energy. The, yeah, the good yeah, energy. Um, the message was fun. It was a good time. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, people sing loud at PCC. Like there's yeah. no there's no work that needs to be done with the, okay. Let's, Drawing them out. Nope, nope. Yeah. They're drawn. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> that's really it. fun. Yeah, I, that's my, what I think. I, is that yeah. pretty, oh, pretty totally. normal standard? You know. Mm-hmm. And you had uh, some new participants on the platform at Poplar Creek. Uh, a young lady, right? Yeah, a teenage, yeah. teenager, which girl. is a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, she reached out maybe like a month ago. and So that's that's great. I mean, you know, we want more of that. If you're listening, if you uh, have a desire to join the worship team, if you do something, uh, let us know, man. Yeah, we'd love Talk to have to you. Alex, me, Bianca, mm-hmm. whoever, let us know. Mm-hmm. Or kids ministry. I'll put that plug in there. Yes, we're recruiting for kids ministry. We really <laughs> want to see the family ministry at Papa Creek strengthened. So we're actively recruiting. Yeah. Children's ministry volunteers. Yeah. Please contact me. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And um, man, Alex, you, you did a fantastic job yesterday. Thanks. Um, my 11 year old listened to the entire thing. Hey. And we talked about it. Tracked with it. Huh? Like tracked with it and was like, started thinking, he's like, dad, I'm thinking about the things that I put ahead of Jesus in my life. Mm. You know, man, like he's so good. Like he's listing things that he is, you know, like, man, let's go. Like, great, great job. I, it was really good to have conversations with people afterwards that you could tell were um, realizing for the first time that maybe something was an idol that they didn't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for the listeners who weren't at Poplar Creek, Alex's emphasis from this passage was heavy on, on idol worship, yep. the idol worship that was going on in Athens and what that looks like in our lives, Yeah, we, in our context. We landed um, on a lot of passages um, like Exodus 20 and then um, moments in the story in Acts 17 where, you know, Paul is seeing all these idols and the different idols that all were being worshipped by the Athenians. Um, and the definition that we use for idolatry was um, anything or anyone that you love more than Jesus. Yeah. I was sorry. I got to bring this up because your illustration, I told you afterwards, but he gave this illustration. <laughs> and when he started talking about it, I was like, oh, where is he going yeah. with this? <laughs> it was so poignant and good. He was, he brought, he talked about this analogy of, uh, 
of like, you, you know, those things that came out, I don't know the names, but they came out in the 90s. Yeah, they were they're, like the digital pets. They were called Tamagotchis. Kid, oh, kids still have them sure, or, you know, sure. and they, you have to feed them and whatever. And yes. So basically he, and he was into that. And so basically he said something like, you know, imagine coming into my house and I have kids, like mm-hmm. real kids. Mm-hmm. And you, you come into my house and it smells like poop, which, you know, anytime you can say poop from the pulpit, that's. Makes people know. laugh. <laughs> Maybe that's why my 11 year old was engaged. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, so he's like, you know, imagine you come in and it smells like poop, and and my son w- runs up to you with a full diaper, hasn't been changed in weeks, basically, you know. So yeah. he hasn't, he's been neglectful, yeah. and you find me in a room, uh, taking around. care, no, taking care of my oh, uh, what whatever it's Tamagotchi. called, Tamagotchi, Tamagotchi, the the digital thing, and, yeah. And you're like, what, what the crap? What are you doing? Like, you have a, a living, breathing son right here that wants a relationship, that wants you. a relationship with you, and you're. Yeah, it was just I was neglecting like, oh, wow. it for a thing. Yeah, right, right. But and it was the funny part about it was the thing was you take care of it and you yeah that that was what drew me in with the analogy because how we care for our idols in similar fashion. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes we, of course, the, it's a ridiculous analogy, but yeah, um, but there's but like a, sometimes we do care for our mm-hmm. idols like mm-hmm. deeply. There's and, a living, active God that wants a relationship with you, you know, and you're neglecting it for right. a thing, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So that was good. That was fun. I appreciate Jeff it. Larson did great yesterday here yeah. on the platform, leading yeah. lots of energy and and yeah, I watched the super stream. Encouraged. It seemed yeah. like I could hear the church singing in the stream. I pointed uh, out we had membership class last night. We had about thirty folks at membership class, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, I pointed, I pointed out that bringing a campus on board, adopting a campus, while it necessitates that Matt be gone from the platform occasionally. It opens up opportunities yeah, for leaders for sure. like Jeff and, um, and what a win that is. Yeah. Uh, somebody in membership had asked, what's the vision for, f- because we have space issues at Glow Bible Church, what's the vision? How are we going to handle that? And I said, well, churches on mission typically grow. And so the space issues, Lord willing, are going to be real. Um, but we don't have any desire to, to leave this neighborhood. We have desires to raise up more leaders and deploy yeah. more folks like Jeff Larson and see, yeah. and we're doing that yeah. at Poplar Creek church and, and he did a great job. And, you know, I appreciate, like, I love God's timing and not our timing because right. I, and I'm not saying like, he's not ready. He clearly was ready. Mm-hmm. But the first time I asked him like, Hey, I, I you know, could you be up? It was kind of like, I need you up. I don't have anybody right. and I've got to go mm-hmm. and I need you up. Mm-hmm. But if it would have been my decision and not a, a hand forced, I'm, I'm doing right, air right. quotes with the word forced. Yeah. I probably would have been like, let's, let's just ease you in. Right. Let's, you know, yeah. gently wade into the yeah. waters. And sometimes God's timing is like, Hey, we're going. Yeah. It's go time. Am I confusing him with another person who, like self-taught guitar, or is no, that that's, him? that's Jeff. That's amazing, and maybe self-taught is not the right word, but it's the exact right word. That's inc- that's incredible. Yeah. He's, he's, he's 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 fairly really bright. <laughs> he's, a, he's a doctor <laughs> first yeah, of all. He's a medical doctor, okay. and, and well, not all medical doctors are bright. Well, but Just but kidding. he's also an accomplished. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, why would that not be true? Um, he's an accomplished musician. Yeah, that's awesome. He's got skills. I mean. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, you would not have known that. He's activating the left He's, and the right brain effectively. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> I told the story Where yesterday. I had good stories too. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. You I did. told the story yesterday that uh, 
<laughs> it's about a 27-year-old who goes into the jungle to share the gospel. And I'm on the platform telling the story of ministry and just feeling, gosh, my life is really safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then add a layer of, and full of idols. Yeah. So hard to tell those stories or, or have a um, missionary here to lead communion and right. not have those thoughts right. swirling around, you know. But then I go home and watch football and I'm like, no, this is good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Let's get into some questions. Let's jump in. Yeah. So some of these are going to be for PCC. Some of them are going to be for 501. That's the lingo for you Glen Ellenites out there. (laughs) 501 Hillside, Glen Ellen. All right, here we go. In the sermon, you raise the idea of seeking truth, but our culture is postmodern, which means they don't believe in truth. For example, you do you and your truth, etc. So how much do we try to address the idea of absolute truth with the culture? Yeah, I think this is at the heart of what it means to contextualize the gospel. Uh, I mentioned this one service, but not both. Uh, the work that Paul was doing in Athens was contextualization. He was, he was trying to help people in a particular cultural setting realize that their longings are ultimately and only met through faith in Jesus. And they had errant longing, misplaced affections on these idols. So to contextualize the gospel, you want to demonstrate that God has met our needs through faith in Christ, which means a, a first step is identifying unmet longings that are expressed or evidenced in culture. And I gave the Grammy Award show as an example in, in popular culture. Um, for example, I'll give another, for the example, the longing expressed through the saying, which is very common in our culture, you do you, or find your truth, these are fairly well-known so- sayings, are sayings that are raising the value of self-actualization, right? Self-actualization is a high value here. I need to find out who I am and become fully me. Postmoderns believe that life is found when I become fully me or you become fully you. And with this, I would have to agree. That's not a wholly bad thing. However, I would redirect the search for self-actualization. Postmoderns believe they find themselves by looking inward. And scripture teaches us that we find ourselves by seeing Christ, by looking to Christ. In fact, what Paul proclaimed to the Athenians works really well here. In uh, Acts 17, 28, our passage yesterday, he said, in him we live and move and have our being. And he was actually quoting their poets when he said that. And Jesus himself said, apart from him, we can do nothing. So I would redirect in the postmodern culture. Yeah, it's true that postmoderns don't love or embrace absolute truth, but they are in search of truth. And so when I hear you do you, my ears go up and I say, oh, they want to become fully them. Well, so does God. God wants them to become fully them. The question is, how do we get there? And in our culture, it's, well, I've got to look inward and find out who I am, which leads, I believe, to all types of what we, what we face today, various confusions, because the heart of man is deceitful, the prophet Isaiah tells that, it. Yeah. yeah. So Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish theologian and philosopher, said, and it's one of my, maybe the only quote I can offer from Kierkegaard, he said, now by God's grace, I'll become fully me. In other words, God wants me, I mean, I, we are created in the image of God, by God, he wants us to become fully us. The question again is how do we get there? And we get there by submitting to and serving Christ, not serving ourselves. And so I think we can address these things in postmodern culture. It just takes some 
some sensitive work. Yeah, with this question of like postmodernism and, and believing in truth and how much do we try to address it, I really feel like culture today really, I, I feel like culture today really does um, embrace certain truths as absolute. And you just kind of have to draw those out. Um, that I haven't, I don't think I've met a single person ever that truly believes that there is no absolute truth. Like when you have situations like um, shootings, for example, uh, you see social media and, and, you know, online dialogue that is filled with people saying, this is wrong, mm. this is wrong, this is wrong. Well, how can that be wrong unless there is absolute truth? And so when talking about like, how do we try to address the idea of absolute truth? I would try to find those things that um, society is uh, tending to agree on of something being right or wrong. Uh, one of the things that uh, C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Mm. It's, it's this idea that because we are created in God's image, we instinctively know God's moral law, what's right and wrong. And so when you're dealing with somebody um, that may kind of fall into the postmodern camp of there's no such thing as absolute truth, I would really try to um, search with them on, on the things that maybe they do see as right or wrong. What are you thinking, Simone? I'm thinking of a person in my life in particular who, as you were describing that, Alex, I'm like, this is what she wants. She's longing for knowing herself fully. Mm. That's what she's longing for. She's, she's engaging with the fact that she recognizes that there is a void and there's something greater and something bigger for her to pursue. But she's hesitant to accept or put her faith and God, and, and our God, and the creator God. And so she's looking for a lot of different things or ideas or philosophies. Uh, she's really into, um, what's it called when you study the stars? Her astrology. astrology. Yes, thank you, astrology. Uh, and studying the signs. And when she finds something that clicks with her, it gives her a lot of, like, it jazzes her up. It, it gives her comfort. Mm. So as you guys are t I'm just thinking about how this is... Um, so relevant today with anyone who's who's seeking something that's going to fulfill them, yeah. um, which is most most of us, right? If we're in tune at all with um, how God's created us, and and how it's such a deep disconnect for her, and what I can't mm -hmm. convince her to trust God, right? That it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just that was literally the thoughts that were going through my head, Matt. Since you asked, <laughs> you um, look like yeah, you were thinking I about was, something. I was. I was like, gosh, and I like yeah. I'm replaying conversations we've had and how I can encourage her and um, what is it about God that she's resisting? And honestly, it's the Christians that she's seen or known and really the horrible examples we have been. We yeah. talked about this at the membership class last mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. um, just one of the biggest barriers to people yeah. accepting Jesus is the church. Yeah. That's church her case. hurt. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It seems like in the, um, in the mid two thousands, like postmodernism was, I mean, it was like the thing, you know, especially no absolute truth, which is hilarious. Every time I hear somebody say that, uh, I, I, I hear Tim Keller, who, you know, who, Tim Keller's first line of defense is usually just to flip it around, <laughs> you know, which is like, well, that is an absolute truth, that there is no That's absolute really truth, you know what I mean? Um, I mean you can only take 
that line of logic so far, and then it collapses. It does. It yeah. collapses, and not only does it collapse on itself, but it collapses in society. And I feel like we've seen that over the last four years, in particular. A lot of the loudest voices who were living in this postmodern, you know, uh, swimming in that postmodern pool, are the same voices that over the last few years are now saying, you know, we need fact checkers we need to verify (laughs) okay we can't just have people saying all kinds of different stuff and it's like wait a minute wait a minute 15 years ago you said i could live out my truth but now you now i can't like and so i'm do you guys think this is still a thing uh, the absolute truth now i know that living your truth is still a thing that's like a you you put that on a book you sell a bazillion copies like i get that but the postmodern idea of no absolute truth is that still a thing yeah, I think it is. I think uh, we're we're resistors of truth. Um, yeah. Light has come into the world, Jesus said, but men love darkness. And so you can, you know, there'll be variants on a theme uh, philosophically in uh, um, among society. There'll be uh, these ideas will morph over time. Yeah. But the fact is, we're going to run from the light until we see its value. Until yeah. we see Christ as valuable, uh, we're, we tend towards darkness. And so in my own life, I see Christ as highly valuable, but I, I need to be honest. There are areas of my life that I, I resist turning over to him. And there are some days I, I do better at following Christ than others. Well, those are days where I'm not fully embracing the truth of who he is. And mm-hmm. so we just need to, this notion of truth and walking in the light is, is a lifelong effort. I see uh, sort of a shift in our culture, a movement from postmodern to more tribalism of I'm going to find the people that think like me. I'm going to find the people that act like me and we're going to come up with what is true. And then in that sense, our sermon series that we're going through right now, and especially the sermon, you know, this past week in Acts 17 is great because what Paul did was he basically approached a tribe and said, Hmm. okay, how can I contextualize the gospel for this specific group? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, let's take this, let's take the next question because this kind of gets more into the practical uh, world of things. So are there limits to how much we should engage with culture? When does it become foolish, like casting uh, pearls before swine? Yeah, those are Jesus' own words. Yeah. Don't cast your pearls before swine. I was like, that sounds so familiar. Um, I'm glad I waited to read that because the last, what we were just talking about, Mm -hmm. the postmodern thing, um, I have a perfect example of of when I I did just stop because it it was exactly this. When when is this just being foolish? Um, And this was early on when I kind of, became a Christian a couple of years in. So, you know, I'm like fire. I'm like just, you know, shooting fire to everybody, you know, just trying to, you know, it's just, gosh, I lived a long time not being a Christian. And mm-hmm. then it was just like, whoa, I see things the way that they are now. It's, You're you want to share it, right? Yeah. And so um, I'm talking to a really good friend of mine, like uh, her and I had been, we'd just been friends since like high school and through college. And, um, and I'm trying to explain, uh, you know, and I, I started with, okay, can we just, establish that that there's a there is an absolute truth can we just go there and she was so hooked on postmodernism and the idea that and she's like no i was like okay all right uh well let's say this your name is this it can't be anything else your name is this that is an absolute truth Hmm. she's like no my name is fantasia i was like what well you could change your name to fantasia legally but right now legally your name is this 
Like if we go to court and you produce documents, your name legally is this. That is an absolute truth. No, my name is Fantasia. And it was just like, oh gosh, this, this is silliness. Spinning right. wheels. This is, yeah. this is casting pearls to swine. I got to stop. Like that's my own personal example of a, you know, trying to evangelize and just realizing, oh, this is going to go nowhere. I do think we see biblically limits to uh, engaging with culture. Uh, Christ coached his disciples as he sent them out. If there's a town that doesn't receive you, well, wipe the dust off your feet and move on to the next town. Mm-hmm. And so it's not when we wipe the dust of our, our feet off, it's, or when we say, oh, we're done here, uh, we're, it's not that we're condemning them. Uh, our job isn't to condemn anybody. It's, it's just a discernment or an exercising of wisdom. Um, so I, I do think there are limits. I think that we need to exercise some discernment on how much we engage with culture. Uh, for example, it's, it's fairly common or routine method of operation that you don't send an active alcoholic into a bar to do evangelism. So if someone is born again and they want to go evangelize, but they've historically struggled with alcoholism, you don't send them into a bar. That's, you know, Jesus also said, be as wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. His point there is exercise some discernment in how you engage with culture. And so I I think there are limits and um, and best practices in these efforts. Something that we say, I've maybe said it before, and it makes me think about like the dust off your feet and move on analogy. It takes a lot of faith, I think, to recognize that you may have a role in someone's life. Like God might use you for a moment or a season and then you move on or he moves them on or what. And and you might not see that fruit. You might not see the, the finish line for that person. Um, but you have to trust your responsibility, your calling that God has given you in that moment for however long you have that relationship with that person is to be faithful. And um, I hate this part of (laughs) sanctification. (laughs) I want to see that this worked. I want to see the end result of a life transformed and celebrate that. Um, But I have learned, especially with women that we work with in our program, that sometimes we are a part of her very long journey and what we have, whether it's 24 hours with her even or up to two years in some cases. And there's not this final like produced person with a bow around her Mm -hmm. head that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And it has required me to have more faith that God has me in her life or our organization in her life for a purpose for that moment. And every moment that we have with her is needs to be meaningful and thoughtful. And which Mm -hmm. I think goes to what you were just saying about it really, we have to exercise discernment because we can blow our witness and we can go, we can either go too far or we can be so afraid and and be so bound by legalism that we won't engage with someone because of. That was true for me. I mean, there there were multiple people when I look back Mm -hmm. that were used all believers, like all at different, in, your some life. Con- in my yeah, life, in my so own story, yeah. some, conf- yeah. com- some timelines converge, mm-hmm. some were separate. Yeah. And they might never know I, right. how well you're doing, Matt. Right. <laughs> Give them a shot and out. And look at me now. <laughs> no, um, no yeah. I, yeah. I can speak to my own story that yeah. that's true. God used multiple people. Mm-hmm. 
I should also say, it's interesting you'll bring this up. Paul, the apostle, said, I planted Apollos water, yes. God gave the growth. I'll never forget being in the dentist chair and uh, trying so hard to share with my dentist, <laughs> you know, with mouth full of tools, Jesus. Anyway, I'm, so I'm doing my best to share with this guy uh, my love for Christ and Christ's love for him. And, and uh, he pulled his tools out of my mouth rested his hands in his lap, and he said, Kelly, I have no interest in talking about this. Yeah. I said, mm. okay, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. So uh, a year later at my annual checkup, he starts talking about Jesus wow. to me. What? And so awesome. I pushed his hands out of my mouth, <laughs> set up and said, wait a minute. Are you a follower of Jesus? He goes, yeah. I said, the last time I was here, you gave me hell. Mm about trying to share Jesus with you. What has happened? Anyway, and he had come to faith in Christ. It's amazing. In the, since the last time. He didn't remember wow. the grief he gave me. Mm-hmm. He didn't remember it. Yeah. That's awesome. And so sometimes the work we do doesn't even register mm-hmm. with the people we're right. uh, trying to sow seed and share. Mm-hmm. But we're called to be faithful. Mm-hmm. There's a, the other way of thinking about this is, at least for me, sometimes there's fear and really at its root pride that it has to be me. Yeah. It has to be me to make this happen. And in those seasons where you feel like you're just not getting anywhere with this person, there's a lot of comfort that you can take in the fact that God is a big God that is actively reaching them and that he doesn't Mm -hmm. need to use you. I mean, it's a gut check, but Mm -hmm. it's true. Mm -hmm. I also love that the the question is about, are there limits to engaging Mm -hmm. with culture? Culture, And, you know, there are a lot of Christians right now very afraid of cultural trends. And I just want to encourage us, when we engage with culture, let's not engage out of fear as if God is on his heels and doesn't have, have an answer, a remedy, a plan. God has a plan. He's working it out. He's saving men and women. Mm-hmm. He's drawing people to himself. And we're called, we, we know in this world we're going to have difficulty. We know that we have an enemy that's unseen and that we have to wear the armor of God. We know these things. So Yeah, we had a conversation before we started recording that I want to think on. I'm not going to say too much. I want to think on it. But we were talking about kind of what you just said. A lot of decisions when it comes to being engaged with culture and where our line is, where we should engage, where we should withdraw. A lot of times it's motivated by fear. And what would that look like if it was reversed and we were were motivated by love? And how different would Christians engage with culture knowing that their motivation was because they loved that person or they loved a group of, you know, whatever it is versus motivated by the fear of what they're going to lose versus what the person they're mm-hmm. engaging with or whatever the situation they're engaging with. What would it, what would it look like if it was motivated by, motivated by love and what they would gain in need and need? Right. Yeah. How to put that sign in my yard. Yeah. <laughs> We were talking uh, before we started recording about the value of uh, yard signs, yeah. and culturally speaking. And there are a lot of signs in yards these days, uh, various elections and worldview. And so. Ecclesiastes 1.9, uh, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. That if like you look back at church history, this is not the first time that you know, Christians have been the away team. Yeah. And yet the church still stands. Amen. 
Hello, church family. On April 9th, we'd love to invite you to be a part of a special element in our services, baptism. If you have never been baptized and you're a follower of Christ, we want to encourage you to do it. April 9th is Easter morning, and it would be an exciting time to mark the moment. Easter's a great time to be baptized. And of course, baptism is a part of what it means to identify with Christ. Christ himself was baptized. He gave the Great Commission to go and baptize, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So we want to see believers baptized here, and we invite you to be a part of that. If you have questions about it, or you're eager to do it, reach out to a staff member, reach out to myself. I'd love uh, to give you the information needed. All right, let's go to the next one. (laughs) Where is the place in our modern culture like the ancient Areopagus? Where are people exchanging ideas and debating? Where does the gospel get a hearing? And I put, I put jokingly in our notes, Twitter and Facebook are clearly the place where all the good debate is happening. That also shows your generation. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to imagine an open-air forum like the Areopagus these days. There is a famous place in London called Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. You can literally take a soapbox out there, a crate, stand on the crate, and it's expected that there'll be people of different worldviews exchanging ideas there. And you can get heckled, and uh, I mean, it's a, it's a hard place to, yeah. to stand. Uh, but it's a, it's a good discipline, I think, uh, for society to have those places where debate happens. There is a lot of debate on Twitter. It, I, it's not always healthy and um, helpful, but um, I would encourage folks, uh, focus on your sphere of influence. A few of us have the public opportunities that Paul had to debate folks, uh, but we all have opportunities to engage with the people in our spheres of influence. Uh, And real challenge is not finding people to speak with. We all have people in our lives that we can influence and care for and share our ideas with. The real challenge in life is making the most of the opportunities that we do have, specifically, in other words, knowing how to address cultural issues, the cultural moment. I I think of my young adults and uh, kids and the things they're going through and experiencing. And so the real challenge is to be ready to give uh, a, a reason for the hope that you have in Christ with whomever you get to talk to. Yeah, one of the things about the Areopagus, right, was what the scripture says is that they, they were infatuated with new ideas, right? Mm-hmm. They just like to talk about new ideas. And if you got a new idea, bring it. It made me think of TED Talks. Yeah. And not that TED Talks are bad, but I'm I just, love TED it, Talks. I, I do too. Yeah. But like, I've. I have reached a place where if I'm watching a TED Talk, I've, I've already assumed that what I'm going to hear is 100% truthful and, mm, like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. a new, it's a new idea Research that, that yeah. I need to know and, like, you know, um, it's this fascinating thing. Like, it's, it's granted, the, they've and, built up a good credibility. A yeah. Right, right. But it just, it made me think of the, the TED, it's not a place for debate, but it's a place right. to share new ideas, typically drawn from experience. Which That's is, a great example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love the fact, I, and wish increasingly, it goes along with our, our, our interaction with the culture, rather than on our heels and fearful or angry, a lot, of, a lot of anger among Christians about cultural change, I wish that we increasingly had a posture of confidence that the truth will be known, the truth is our friend, 
we can seek the truth and encourage the culture to seek the truth. And, and he wants to be known. The man of truth wants to be known. He's revealing himself. So that when we have that confidence, we're put at ease in the public square rather than coming off as angry and fearful. And I've, I've had seasons in the pulpit where I was angry and it, I didn't serve the congregation well. Yeah. Yeah. It made me think about like, I definitely know some Christians uh, close to me that, um, yeah, they, they are fear-based. Like mm-hmm. they, they seem to live in fear of just about every cultural shift, you know? Um, but I think there's also, and, and I, I think about like the position that maybe you take or our church takes, our church takes with abortion. Like there are other evils in darkness where it's like, okay, we're not fighting this out of fear. We're fighting this because the darkness is trying to creep in yeah. and we're fighting it with the light. Yeah, we're we fighting can, it with truth. We can live with conviction and stand in courage without coming off as angry or yeah. scared. Yeah. And we're going to lose more decisions mm. in court. We're going to lose more laws. We're going to lose, we're going to take more losses, but like that's a fight worth fighting. Yeah. When talking about exchanging ideas and debating and, how that happens, in my experience, it just does not go well through a screen. Mm-hmm. I think that if you have somebody in your life that you, you know um, thinks differently than you um, and you want to enter into a conversation, um, I just I would not do it through social media. I wouldn't do it through a screen mm-hmm. um, because there's, there's elements like body language, um, listening, all these things work best um, not across from a computer or a yeah, cell phone. Agreed. Yeah. Too much is lost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just so hard because this is how this is where our kids live. This, is how, this yeah. is how they communicate and talk to. It's interesting. I'll just say one last thing about my kids. I don't know if I've talked about them today, but my almost 16-year-old, and listen, we are all counting the days to that girl can drive, take care of her own <laughs> life. But um, <laughs> she notices how much her younger siblings are either asking for or like trying to be on their screens. And it's interesting to watch her kind of like get over that hump and be like, it's actually not cool. It's too much time. It doesn't, Mm. you know, you're, you just become a zombie. Like she's noticing, especially, you know, her youngest who's six, who's just constantly asking because she doesn't have that self-control. And I'm, wondering like no one knows yet how this is going to turn out for this generation of kids who have never known life without a screen, how they are going to learn to engage with other people face to face. Yeah. I, 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 I'm watching her try to like figure it out. And I, I just, you know, she's only known how to communicate with people through texting, snapping, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is it called? I have mean. No, that's that's old. <laughs> it is. What do you DM 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 yeah, mean? Yeah, there yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, Direct whatever. messaging. Yes. Thank you, Alex. So anyway. Yeah. I what's gonna happen to this generation? Like they they've not learned. Yeah. I guess that's does that fault to parents like me? It's my <laughs> fault. I'm sorry for laughing at you about the No, I, I know, thing. it's okay. I, I, I hope I hope the church at large does a good job of trying to yeah. trying to come to the other side mm-hmm. of that and mm-hmm. and uh, promote real mm-hmm. in person. Mm-hmm. relationships and interactions. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to derail us here or start a controversy, sure. but it's one of the things that I think about with online church, and which can be a great thing. You can reach so many people around the world, but, you know, and Kelly, I've talked, to, talked about this before, but man, if there's no human connection, 
Mm-hmm. If there's no connecting point, if there's no, hey, and next, let's, let's meet. Uh, gosh, it just feels like a, online, it could be a miss, yeah, right? Online church is a great place to start, but it's not a good place to stay. Mm. Yeah, that's maybe one way to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go to the next one. The ethic of treachery among the Sawi is fascinating. How do you think humans would come up with that type of belief? Do you think it is the normal course for humanity to come up with such twisted values. Kelly, could you uh, expand yeah, so, a little bit on this? So if you didn't hear the sermon, if you were at Poplar Creek uh, yesterday, I told a story about a, a missionary. The year was 1962, and he was in um, what is called, it's modern Papua New Guinea. So it's an island just north of Australia. And in 62, it was remote, one of the most remote portions of the earth at that time. And there were still tribal cultures there with... Uh, bows and arrows and spears uh, as their primary implements for providing for themselves. And um, in the Sawi culture, um, one of the barriers to sharing the gospel was the ethic of treachery. The Sawi's highly valued betrayal. And so when they told hero stories around the campfires at night, the heroes were inevitably those that had befriended people in other tribes and then betrayed them. Mm. And betrayed them to death, and then they would—they were headhunters, so they would cut their enemies' heads off and put their skulls in their huts as trophies. And so Don Richardson, the missionary that's trying to reach the Sawi, was a little befuddled about how to overcome and care for this people group when they had an ethic that was so foreign to Christian ethics. I mean, betrayal and treachery is not a part of the person of God. God is loving and truthful. So. I do think that the normal course of of humanity is one of deeply broken and grotesque ethics. I think left to ourselves, this we would all be sorry people. We would this is the ethic that we would come up with with twisted and broken ethics like this. In fact, if you think about the impact of the Old Testament law on cultures, ancient cultures, it was a significant moral compass mm-hmm. for developing cultures. Um, and it, of course, it wasn't the only law in the ancient world. Uh, there's Hammurabi's Code. and So it wasn't the only law. But the development of a, a moral code uh, such that you condemn murder, um, which is command number six, you should not murder, right? That moral code was a significant compass. You could go so far as to say a light on a hill, steering people towards godliness and righteousness, both Jews and Gentiles alike. So I, you know, what was the high school book everybody had to read, Lord of the Flies? Yeah. Uh, where With the kids on the island? Kids on the island, yeah. and it just becomes a, a bankrupt, mm-hmm. a morally bankrupt culture of survival of the fittest where they're dominating each other. And so I do think, left to our own, we come up with really self-serving ethics. And it can manifest itself in different ways in different cultures, but at, at its root, yeah, that's true. With kids, mm. like, you know, my son's too, and he'll do things that I'm like, I didn't teach you that. Yeah. You know, how did you, yeah. you know, well, you just lied to me and, you know, you just hit your sister and things like that. And it's a reminder that, yeah, we're broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think of that verse you said earlier, the heart is deceitful above all yeah. things. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to the last one. One of the big idols in our co- in our culture is money. 
How can I both provide for my family and avoid worshiping money? What are some indicators that something good has become an idol in your life? Go for it, Alex. I think this was directly out of Poplar Creek. Yeah. So um, like Matt said earlier, we camped out quite a bit on the idea of idolatry on Sunday. And so we had this question of somebody wrestling with, um, well, a lot of those items on that list that I might be tempted to put above Jesus are good things. And, and so where is that line when something has crossed over from being a good thing into an ultimate thing? And so um, one of the things that I would say, uh, and Kelly, you wrote in your notes here, and I think you're spot on, um, when you look at uh, time and energy, uh, how, how much of it are you dedicating to these things? Uh, if it's taken away from you, are you completely devastated to the point that you can't function? Um, that, you know, I, I think about um, like possessions and things like that. If, if I'm holding on to something so tightly because I can't imagine life without it, it's probably an idol. I don't know. What do you guys think? I can think of things that I would feel that way if they were taken away. I've never been in the situation where the thing w- was taken away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think that way about my husband and my kids, like if anything were to happen to them, mm. I mean, no one likes to sit in that space and think about it, but that feels very devastating to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the items on the list, uh, well, maybe this is a rabbit hole. We don't want to go down, but like one of the items on the list that we had on Sunday was that family can be an idol. Mm. What are some ways that family can become yes. an idol? Okay. I have a thought. Yeah. Can yeah. I share it? <laughs> um, I think I've mentioned it before. I'm reading a book. Um, it's called Impossible Marriage. It's a fascinating book. And, um, Impo- impossible, impossible Marriage? Impossible Marriage. Okay. Um, and it is a, a, it's a true story about a husband and a wife and their struggle through marriage. And I, without going into all the details, I have been telling it to everybody, which is annoying, I'm sure. And I'm like, will you please read this so we can talk about it? Um, but there is a, a chapter and a theology that's kind of evolving throughout the book about how your marriage can become an idol mm. and um, even intimacy within the marriage can become the idol. And this is, again, an unfiltered thought, but it, what I'm learning as I'm reading this book and thinking about it in the application of my own life, that if the marriage itself becomes the idol and we remove the purpose of marriage in its meaning to make us more like, yeah, to make us more holy, to make us for, um, like if I worship Anthony, mm-hmm. this is a simplified way of saying it instead mm-hmm. of Anthony and like his life and his service and his role in our marriage, shaping me and, and inspiring me to worship God more mm-hmm. then Anthony has become the idol mm-hmm. and the security of a marriage has become the idol where the purpose of marriage ultimately is to push the other person to worship and love God more with that. Am I in line? It's great. Yeah. I, so I'm fleshing that out yeah. in, a, in a regular, like a kind of a daily basis right now. I'm like, what am I worshiping? the security I have. Anthony gives me and brings me a lot of security and that's not Mm -hmm. a bad thing. But if that were taken away to your question, my favorite book on marriage and it's old now is titled sacred marriage Mm -hmm. by Gary Thomas and his kind of the, uh, the pithy subtitle is what if marriage was meant to make us holy and not simply happy. Yeah. And so wrestling with, um, when it's not going how I think it should go in marriage how can this be utilized by God to grow me, grow my spouse, mm-hmm. um, 
strengthen us in faith and devotion to Christ rather than um, just getting out of it what I want, to Which put it crassly. totally countercultural. Yeah. That's not going to sell. No. And that's, Suffering doesn't sell. Yeah. Service doesn't like, sell. Like going back to the UBU, what makes... We're in a tornado what warning right now. Oh, oh, my word. Okay. okay, so if you're listening to the podcast right now, <laughs> we're, all freaking out. we're pre-taping. So if you listen to it later, yeah, there's not this a happened warning. at 9.55 a.m. <laughs> I feel like that's like, if I should stop talking, give me a sign. <laughs> um, oh, man. Well, what you guys are doing, and I think this can be applied to everything in our life that we might be tempted to make an idol. What is the purpose of this thing? Yeah. So with like money, what is the purpose of money? Mm-hmm. And, and once it starts straying away from that, mm-hmm. it can become an idol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what I was going to say when I said that doesn't sell, it, the, what this book is doing is it's unpacking state of marriage is the ultimate thing that we're pursuing that our culture really does kind of, push what both inside and outside the church, then we're neglecting a whole group of people who'd never get married or are called mm-hmm. to celibacy or called mm-hmm. to singleness. And it can't, marriage can't be the ultimate goal or the ultimate means to happiness, F- right. fulfillment. Right. It's, me becoming fully me. Mm-hmm. No service to right. Christ, right. whether married or unmarried. Exactly. But I'm sorry. I don't hear that very often. No. I, wish, I actually, yeah. I, many years ago I, I preached, um, uh, kind of Paul's rubric of marriage. I wish that you were all like I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who is single? First Corinthians 7. And um, re- re- just got huge, huge pushback uh, that... Is that a take shelter? Yeah, it was a tornado warning, which means a tornado's been spotted. And now the sirens are sounding. As a rural Missouri. All right. Yeah, please. Very <laughs> familiar. Yeah. And we're dead. No, I'm just All right. Um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, you first Corinthians. Yeah. So I got huge pushback that the, that marriage is the highest calling for Christians. I mean, mm-hmm. people in the congregation, I said, no, it's marriage is a fairly low bar. It, it, that's not our highest calling. Our highest calling is to serve Christ, bear fruit, give him glory in our lives, whether married or unmarried. And, and the value of singleness has not been trumpeted yeah. in modern mm-hmm. evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we should be, call it quits. Yeah, we probably should. There's take 20 shelter. And once again, we <laughs> recorded this at 9 o'clock this morning. So if you're listening, don't worry about it. Can I, can I one last thing? Yeah. Um, this whole podcast today is kind of centered around the engagement of culture. And Kelly, one of the things that I love that you landed on in your sermon is verse 34 of Acts 17, that by the end of this and Paul's effort, one of the members of the Areopagus yeah. was converted. Yeah. Wow. Like, and, and that's something that we should hold on to. I see people going down in the basement. We should probably go with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or so we could sit by these windows. Can right. I get some more coffee first? <laughs> I'm feeling anxious. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text next little podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicating to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith, and also explaining the difference between a tornado watch and a tornado warning. <laughs> We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to The Next Level.
Boom. Prophecy. 